Hey everyone, welcome. Last month, Tim Bailey resigned as the senior pastor of Trinity Reformed Church. It may come as a surprise to you if you're not from our church, but it's actually been in the works for many years. Tim and Mary Lee Bailey served this church faithfully for 25 years, and we threw a party to celebrate God's goodness to us through their faithful service. This episode was recorded about a month ago, right after that party. This is the penultimate episode of the Out of Our Minds podcast in this format. That is to say, next week's episode will be the last one that I host. Tim Bailey will, Lord willing, continue to podcast in the future, but you'll hear more about his upcoming plans in the episode. The voices you'll hear today belong to Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. So we have just had quite a special weekend. It was a retirement celebration for Tim and Mary Lee. <laughs> We're not retiring. We are not retiring. Tim is resigning uh, as senior pastor of Trinity Reformed Church here in Bloomington, Indiana at the end of June 2022. And so it was a really sweet weekend. We had uh, a showing of the Gospel Blimp which is a book that Tim's dad wrote years ago, and they made it into a movie. Uh, and there was candy and popcorn and then a, a, a fantastic uh, fireworks display. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, uh, it was a little interesting. Some of the, some, a few people got a little singed, I think, um, but uh, thankfully everyone was okay. <laughs> uh, and then on Saturday, uh, we had... Uh, an event at the church with it was, what? What would you call that? That was quite an interesting. It was there were various people spoke. There were skits. There were some things that were really quite hilarious, and uh, opportunity for Tim and Mary Lee briefly to just kind of let people know what they were planning on doing in the coming year. And then we all went off to uh, dinner at this place here in town called the Warehouse. Uh, lots of things for the kids to do and to play, and we had a. A delicious, delicious meal together. And lots of people came in from out of town. And that was very, very sweet. A lot of the alumni of our church. And we had wonderful conversations. Some hard conversations, um, but some really good conversations. So very thankful for this, this past weekend. Um, what would you guys say? It was fun because I got to meet people that were here and had left before I even arrived 20 years ago. Hmm. And that was really enjoyable. And yeah. just to see how much love they had mm-hmm. for Tim and Mary Lee for their time here at this church. Mm-hmm. I mean, and how they talked about their children who were then would have been tiny then that they wished they could have brought mm-hmm. with them. It was, uh, there were so many very, very enjoyable conversations and such a lot of joy mm-hmm. uh, through the whole weekend. And, uh, uh, it, was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was just fun. I think a, I think a highlight for me is going to be forever Jim Hogue doing the Money <laughs> Python skit. I, I I suspect that well over half of the 
the people in the audience had no idea what no, was going on. But the people that did know thought it was hilarious. <laughs> the architect. The architect yeah. skit well, was replicated. <laughs> the sort of pig ignorance I've come to expect from you non-creative garbage. You sit there on your loathsome spotty behind squeezing black. It's not giving a tinker's cuss. <laughs> It was quite funny. (laughs) Yep. Well, and and what Jeopardy was funny. Go ahead. Yeah, Jeopardy was funny, but it adds to people listening that don't know Jim Hogue that Jim Hogue is about, (laughs) you know, he's below the secret emotional life of cats. (laughs) You know, and so I don't think anybody. Yeah, he's not expressive, so I don't think anybody knew he had it in him. Yeah, and he just pulled it off perfectly. Yeah. Oh, Although man. he didn't get into the Masonic Order part, <laughs> which Masonic. is in some ways the funniest part. <laughs> I nearly got in it. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what we're talking about after that. <laughs> well, I think I should explain. I think I should explain some things because probably there are people that weren't able to come who listen to this and know the church, know Warhorn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first question that people would ask is, what's the difference between resigning and retiring? And I would say that my dad died at 66, but shortly before he died, he had said to me, he was CEO of David C. Cook at the time, and he had said to me, Tim, I'm never going to retire. And I understood completely what he was mm-hmm. saying, which was that he loved his work and he would continue to do it. And so that's why we're not just saying this is a retirement. Um, I don't want to be honorably retired in the presbytery, which is the normal thing that you do at times like this. Mm -hmm. And particularly because in fact, I'm going to go over and preach and teach and uh, help train pastors in Bonn, Germany at the Bible seminar of the Russian German Baptist seminary in there in Bonn for the fall semester and then spring semester go over to Taiwan and work with the Reformed Presbyterians Joel and Judy Linton and their church plan and try to help there speaking on the things that I get constant um, <clears throat> expectations that I'll do which is manhood, womanhood, sexuality, homosexuality uh, pastoral ministry, pastoral care, family stuff, family. Yeah. yeah. The good thing in Bible seminar Bonn is that I'll be able to teach four of, of the class sessions with the rector Heinrich Dirksen, uh, in homiletics. And, um, I'm excited about doing that hmm. because, you know, preaching is such a, such such a unique aspect of our ministry it's we we do not preach in any way analogous to the modern macarthur clones and keller clones Mm. and yet people overseas think that there's that's the best of what america has to offer for preaching Mm -hmm. and so they just think the world of tim keller and john macarthur yeah neither of whom preach the conscience neither of whom are in any way analogous to historic preaching of Protestant world. And so that's exciting, the idea of being able to open up training pastors, men training for the ministry to historic preaching, 
to the conscience, to not giving lectures and emoting, yeah. but actually applying the word of God to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so that's the answer to the question, why resigning instead of retiring? But then another question that people would have is, well, why are you resigning? I mean, isn't Doug Wilson going to stay until, you know, stay in the saddle until yeah. he falls out? And I would say, yeah, Moscow's a different place in Bloomington. Yep. And one of the reasons is that here in Bloomington, we have had a whole staff of pastors who for years have been faithful in leadership in the church. And I have recognized that for years, uh, those men should take over the work of leadership because they have proven themselves competent, capable. They've proven themselves faithful, godly. Their wives, their children are commendable. And so I've felt, honestly, for the last 10 years, if I have sat in a, in a chair under the preaching of the word of our men, you guys, mm. I have come home and said to Mary Lee every single time, I am extraneous, <laughs> at which point she'd get angry at me and say, <laughs> no, you are not. Uh-huh. And I would say, yes, I am. Well, of course, the rest of us don't feel that way. Well, f- who cares about feelings? I mean, my mother taught me in high school <laughs> that feelings are absolutely worthless. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, we love each other. But the point is that you men have been faithful, and it's time for me to depart and for you to be the shepherds of the sheep. And I've known that for years. And I'm glad you've allowed me to stay as long as I've stayed, because in many churches they would have booted me because Hmm. I'm older. So I don't have any hesitation in feeling the joy of, and I mean the joy of being able to have you men lead. There have been painful parts of that that are necessary Mm-hmm. And we talked about them before we started recording. Yeah. And I shed some tears with you. You know, it's very hard to, you know, to think about losing. And, you know, I don't talk about this church. I don't write about it. But, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I could not do any of the stuff I work in terms, I do in terms of podcasting and writing and speaking. If I did not have this church, and and it was interesting, you know, if I didn't have this church to give me faith, mm-hmm. and I, I, I said to a number of people coming back from dim, different parts of the country Sunday, I said, you know, the truth is that the pastor doesn't make the church. The church makes the pastor. The, the preacher doesn't make the congregation. The congregation forms the preacher. Mm-hmm. And it is really true. And if you think about what Paul says, the Apostle Paul says about the time will come when they won't put up with something, but they'll surround themselves with preachers mm-hmm. who scratch their ears where they itch. Yeah. And, you know, we always think of that as, as you know, sort of being a, a condemnation of the preacher. And it's only recently that I've realized what a condemnation of the congregations that is. Mm. And that's what's true in the pulpits around our country. Hmm. that churches have become fat, wealthy, decadent, without compunction of conscience and without any fear of God. Mm -hmm. 
And consequently, they have pastors perfectly suited to scratch them precisely where they itch. And that's why there is no preaching to the conscience. There is no preaching of the law. There is no preaching of repentance. It's just a cheerful standing behind the communion table, chipper, saying, come, come, don't let your conscience bother you, but come, come, Mm -hmm. Jesus died for you. Yeah. And so uh, to leave this place, it was interesting, Robert, they asked me who I wanted to preach yeah. for this Sunday because I didn't want to preach on this Sunday. It was just too emotional. Mm-hmm. I said, Robert Woodyard, he's my best friend. Mary Lee's and my best friends are Robert and Fama Woodyard from Linden, Washington. He's the pastor, senior pastor of First Christian Reformed Church in Linden, which is right on the border of Canada, two hours north of Seattle. Hmm. So they flew out. Wonderful gift. We had the whole weekend together. It was just sweet. Robert said... <laughs> He said to me, he said, oh, it's so wonderful preaching to your congregation. And of course, that's what any preacher who's ever preached in our church will tell you, hmm. is because it's just so obvious that they're humble, they're meek, and they just live for the word of God. I mean, you just feel it when you preach. Mm-hmm. Now, we've become so used to it that it doesn't hit us the way it does. And he has a good congregation. He's Mm -hmm. not in any way unhappy. But, I mean, he just loved preaching to our congregation. Yeah, that's sweet. And so that's hard to think of, you know, leaving that behind. Mm -hmm. But it is time, and God is the one that has set up the cycles of life. He had a retirement age for the Levites, right, that was 55 or 50 or something. And, uh, and Do you remember? I don't remember. Yeah. I'm, my recollection is that the priests had to leave their positions that you go ahead and look it up, but we'll continue to work. And I do hope to continue to write this podcast will change because 50, Luke, 50 at 50. Yeah. yeah. They retired. This podcast will change because, uh, Lucas will no longer be the host, and so we're working to get another host. David will no longer be involved, although we'll probably call you up occasionally and see whether or not you um, have anything to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, it- and we're going to issue another season of The World We Made, and so I am hoping to do more podcasting than i've been doing Mm. we're going to nate and uh, ben salser and jake mensel and i are going to do another season on abortion because we're completing that book on abortion of our presbytery go ahead david when you were talking about going away or or having a church that was so delightful to preach Mm -hmm. to it's absolutely true and when you think about pastors going at other places and preaching it's fascinating when you go and visit other churches, how people are and how they participate and what the, what the reality of the church life is like, even if you're not preaching, we encourage people. They ought to, when they're on vacation with their families, they ought to go to church somewhere. Mm -hmm. And what's, what is normal is for when they do that, what is normal for them is to say, Whoa, this is really different. You know, our children grow up in this church and they don't realize how really how, much of a blessing it is to be in a church with people who love God and are are running toward the kingdom, mm. wanting the kingdom of heaven. And so they go and they visit churches where that's not true. 
And I mean, I have stories from family vacations. We went to one church and, and, uh, uh, after the, the service, before the service, we got there and our, my daughter said, well, I wonder who's going to invite us over for lunch because that's what life is like with us. We have lunch <laughs> after church and people come over and new people get invited. And, <laughs> and so she was so upset that nobody would talk to us. Nobody, it was just nothing. It was yeah. flat, right? And then you go to other churches and you're with them and they're worshiping and you realize that nobody's singing around you. Nobody's singing. Hmm. And they're all just listening to this band or whatever it is up front and nobody's even participating. Hmm. And you realize that there's something that's awful. Well, and it's always the sacraments and the preaching. That's what's awful. Hmm. Because at the sacraments, it's just this cheerful, sickening, treacly, Come, 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 come. Don't, don't, don't let, come, come, come. There's never a warning, never mm. a warning. And so it's sacramentalism. And uh, then the preaching is a lecture with interesting tidbits and helpful thoughts for the week. And You know, that's fascinating. When we were had a guest here this weekend, she was talking to us about a church that she attended in, in another state. And what won her to that church after leaving here, she was here for years and while she was in the university here, and what won her immediately to the church that she went to, she got there and one of the first things they did was they came and talked to her because they were having communion. And they came and talked to her and said, are you a Christian? Mm -hmm. We're going to have communion now and Mm -hmm. we want to know that you should be able Mm -hmm. to take it with us or not. So they fenced the table very, very personally yeah. fence the table. Yeah. And she just, they thought that that would be off-putting to her. Yeah. But but she was actually like, you care. Yeah, mm. yeah. You care mm. about my soul. You care whether I am sick yes. and die. Yeah, yeah. According to the Apostle yeah. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. So that was very sweet, that story. Yeah, go ahead. I Lucas. do think it's one of the downsides of live stream, actually, um, that... If you're going to a new place, you're tempted to just tune into the live stream of your church, which makes sense in certain circumstances. But other times, you know, it is, I, I do enjoy going to other churches as a pastor here. It's, but it's, nice. a, but it's, I, let me just say, it's a pain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. you're out somewhere at yeah, a hotel yeah. or a bed and breakfast <laughs> and you're, and you're in the, you're going on your computer and you're looking, okay, what are your options? And you're trying to find uh-huh. something that your family will actually have something good from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But don't let it being a pain Keep, stop you. Right. Just go ahead and do it. And if it's, if it turns out to be bad, You'll just be happier. For, you'll, you'll learn for, something for, yeah, through that yeah, experience yeah. also. Yeah, yeah. one of the issues that uh, people that listen to this that haven't been to this church don't know is that we actually have a church with sinners in it. Just a few. <laughs> and the sad yeah. thing is when you have treacly cheap grace sermons and cheap grace fencing of the table all cheerful post-millennial what happens is nobody in the church can sin it can be discovered you know you can be forced to deal with it and then everybody knows about it you know but there aren't the incidental confessions of sin that we have here 
of things that in other churches people would never think of talking to their pastors or elders or the older women of the church about. Mm-hmm. And people have to understand that if they think this podcast doesn't stroke them to where they itch, that's because this may be the only podcast in the country done by Reformed pastors that doesn't actually aim at stroking the listeners where they itch. What we try to do is to scratch you where you don't itch. (laughs) And it's completely foreign today. It's completely foreign. One of the problems I had writing the book Church Reformed is realizing that the substance of the book at the center would cause people to be woke, that their church was not a true church. Uh Okay? And people listening are going, well, what do you mean a not a true church? Well, let me just say, historically, Reformed Christians have always said that there are marks of the true church. And those marks are either two or three. All right? And the reason they had to come up with what the marks of the true church were was that Roman Catholics accused the Reformers of leaving the true church. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they had to think through their ecclesiology, and the marks of the true church are the right administration of the sacraments, the right preaching of the word of God, and the right exercise of church discipline. And sometimes you'll find the marks listed, and they're confessional, they're in confessions. Sometimes you'll find the marks listed without the third one, the right practice of church discipline. So then you have the right administration of the sacraments, the right preaching of the word of God, okay? But you can't have the right administration of the sacraments without church discipline. And preaching that does not discipline the congregation is not biblical preaching. And so what I'm saying is it doesn't really matter whether you add the third one of the right exercise of church discipline, any biblical administration of the sacraments. And so I'm writing this book where I'm talking about the necessity of preaching to the conscience and authority in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I'm just thinking, this is like terra incognito to reform Christians today. And all of them are acclimated to the preaching, like Ian Murray would say. It's it's always a lecture. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't anybody preach today? Yeah, It's just dissemination of information, right? And then I got to the sacraments, and I was talking about the fact that nobody fences the table anymore. They have this little thing like, uh, by the way, uh, if you're not a Christian, you know, you talk to one of the elders afterwards, and you can become a Christian. You know, I mean, that's that really is. And maybe they might say something, and if you have something against your, and wh- whereas we use Calvin and Knox's actual liturgy for the Lord's table. And if you were to use that in almost any church of the people listening to this podcast, people would be absolutely scandalized Mm. about the actual fencing of the table done by the reformers. And so as I'm writing this book, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, oh no, Hmm. oh no, oh no, oh no, you know? And so the book starts with a chapter commanding people to love their church it ends with a chapter commanding people to love their (laughs) church because i didn't want to be telling people to leave their churches because their churches don't have the right administration of the sacraments don't have the right preaching the biblical preaching the word and don't have the biblical practice of church discipline (laughs) Mm. and and what did those old dead guys say if the church wasn't doing that what did they call them well you look in scripture go ahead 
They called them synagogues of Satan. Yeah, because that's what it's called in Scripture. But I want to say that if you think about the term synagogue of Satan, what people would think of if you said, do you believe that something exists that's a church that's really a synagogue of Satan? Mm-hmm. And they'd say, yes, yes, well, of course that exists. Mm-hmm. And then and you'd say, liberal. then yes, they would, you, they would put some kind of mark on it rather, mm-hmm. rather than thinking about whether those things exist in it as they ought to or not. They would not think about it being the absence of the right preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments or church discipline. They would think about it being, well, obviously liberal, that they have rainbows up on in the month of June on their pulpit or something, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact of the matter is what we have is so many churches who are just – we were talking about it in uh, – in the staff meeting, we have so many churches that are just like going to the water park and getting in the lazy river. Mm-hmm. And what you're in, in the lazy river is in a church setting is just a synagogue of Satan. There isn't anything that is actually provoking you or showing itself to be concerned about this, the eternal state of state of your soul. And so you can go along and it's wonderful. You get a, this wonderful, helpful thought for the week as you go to church on Sunday and you have good coffee and you have people who are smiling and it's all nice. And there's a really hip program for the kids where they watch the newest videos. You know, somebody recently was telling me they were visiting a church with their child and the child or their child was going visiting a church. And what the, the, the children's program was that they watched some videos where they were, these guys who do bizarre kinds of experiments or something. Yeah. You know, it's stuff you could watch on YouTube. Mark Rober or something like that. Yeah. yeah. What do they do? I don't know. Yeah, but it's stuff you could watch on YouTube and you know, look at what happens when you drop this, uh, yeah, this yeah, thing yeah. from this tall platform, right, you know, right. and this is what your kid has. And wow, this is great because huh. the child is happy because there's nothing more enjoyable than, <laughs> you know, sitting there. I mean, they could actually be hearing, something from the Bible Mm. or being talked about their attitudes or being talked about their hearts, but it's so much easier to entertain them. And your point is, is that, that we wouldn't see it, Mm -hmm. that people today wouldn't see it. They'd look at it. If you, if you went, if you went out into the crowds on the streets and you said, if I told you that there was a church and they were a synagogue of Satan, what would you, what, how would you say that? Why would you say they would be a synagogue Mm -hmm. of Satan? And what would they say? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're kind of shocking listeners right now with our criticism of churches by talking about the joy of this church. Mm. And I, I make no apology for this. The fact is, this church is large, number one. Number two, it is exceedingly sweet and lovely. Number three, it has the strongest women of any Reformed church in the country, including that church. Our women are constantly leading in our church and rebuking and exhorting and training other women to give joy in childbirth, but also to be submissive to their husbands, to be keepers at home. And our church is unbelievable in its giving. And our church actually has had a building for 15 years that is wonderful, solid, 
beautiful. And we have the best choral singing of any church in the country because we have a bunch of former music students. And we have elders who spend their lives meeting with couples and individuals who are caught in sin or having bad marriages. Mm. And our elders do what proportion of the pastoral care of our church. And we have everybody in a home fellowship group, 95% participation. And we have a number of retired pastors in our church. And we have so many little children, you can't even count them. Mm -hmm. Now, I could keep going. Don't ever look down on us and think that we're backed into a corner acting like Amish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we are in a liberal community with a research institution. We're not out west on the prairie. All right. And we have people from the university, including professors. All right. And we are known in this community. And we are respected and hated. Now, I say all of that because we never talk about our church on the podcast. And so people could listen to it and think, well, you know, you guys, you're like, you're not significant. Mm -hmm. You know, the real significant people are telling you how significant they are all the time <laughs> yeah. and how they're superior to everyone else and how you should come and move out and be a part of them. Uh-uh. No, we don't do that. Okay. And we also have a pastor's college and we have podcasting and 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 we have books. We're the ones that brought Clark's book back into print. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, go online and look at Stephen Clark's Man and Woman in Christ. Now, I say all that because I want to read something that's been foundational to our church. And I want to read it on this podcast because it is so fundamental to everything we do. All right. And this is from uh, Martin Luther's instructions to parish visitors. Mm -hmm. So at the time of the Reformation, they had to figure out how they were going to hold pastors accountable to do the work of the ministry because pastors are lazy dogs. I'm a lazy dog. You guys are lazy dogs. We're all lazy dogs. And there had to be accountability of pastors. So he wrote up a manual that was used. And actually, it's not quite just Luther. It was actually Luther agreeing with it. But it was written and used broadly. Mm. But I've always associated Luther's name with it because he was clearly in agreement with it. And you can just hear him all through the thing. And this is just a part of it. You can go online and find this. You can find the whole instructions. There are some interesting articles on him. But he says this. In regard to doctrine, we observe especially this defect. So he's saying at that time, the time of the Reformation, in the Reformed Church, you know, the Lutheran Protestant Church, we observe especially this failure. This is a common failure, a common defect. That while some preach about the faith by which we are to be justified, it is still not clearly enough explained how one shall attain to this faith. And almost all omit one aspect of the Christian faith without which no one can understand what faith is or means. I'm going to read that again. In regard to doctrine, he's talking about what preachers preach. In mm -hmm. regard to doctrine, mm -hmm. we observe especially this defect, that while some preach about the faith by which we are to be justified, 
Martin Luther, it is still not clearly enough explained how one shall attain, how you can get this faith. Mm. And almost everyone, every pastor omits one aspect of the Christian faith without which no one can understand what faith is or means. So what would this be? Nobody preaches this. Yeah. You know, what does Martin Luther say? No one preaches, and therefore no one can have faith. Mm-hmm. Well, here it is. For Christ says in the last chapter of Luke twenty four forty seven that we are to preach in his name repentance and forgiveness of sins. Many now talk only about the forgiveness of sins and say little or nothing about repentance. There neither is forgiveness of sins without repentance, nor can forgiveness of sins be understood without repentance. It follows that if we preach the forgiveness of sins without repentance, that the people imagine that they have already obtained the forgiveness of Mm. sins, Mm -hmm. becoming thereby secure and without compunction of conscience. Mm This would be a greater error and sin than all the errors hitherto prevailing. Mm. That is the condition of the Reformed Church in America today. Mm-hmm. There is no compunction of conscience. There is no preaching of repentance. And the people are secure and complacent. That's the condition of the church today. Mm-hmm. And he says this would be a greater error and sin than all the errors hitherto prevailing. Well, what does he mean? He's saying that the condition that we judge the Reformed Church in America is in today, both continental and English, mm-hmm. he's saying that that is worse than the Roman Catholic Church of the late Middle Ages. Because what we've noticed in our church is when you get Catholics who come to your church, they at least know they're sinners. Whereas People from evangelical reform churches have been inoculated against mm. any personal conviction of sin. And then he goes on and says, therefore, we have instructed and admonished pastors that it is their duty to preach the whole gospel and not one portion without the other. For God says in Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add to the word nor take from it, unquote. There are preachers who now attack the Pope because of what he has added to the scriptures, which unfortunately is all too true. Hmm. But when these do not preach repentance, they tear out a great part of scripture. And so he goes on and talks about the necessity of preaching the law of God, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is Luther. This is Luther. <laughs> you know, he wrote the commentary on Galatians that we all love. Yep. But Luther understood that to be reduced to the position of needing to hear the free grace of God can't happen when you have never had the law be your tutor mm-hmm. to the necessity of pleading for God's mercy. Mm. Now, okay, I've read it. Go ahead, guys. Isn't, wasn't it Luther that looked at the book of James and said the, he called it the epistle of straw? Mm-hmm. And for, for him to say that and then to turn around and say what you just read gives you context for what is going on in Luther's life and what he was concerned about. And yes, there we are today. There we are today. Yes, Roman Catholic people come in generally with an idea, with an understanding of sin. 
And fear of God. And fear because of sin. And, I mean, that's been my experience in knowing Roman Catholics for years. It's like, it's like the opposites. It's like uh, you take a Roman Catholic, they know who God is and they fear him. They know that they've sinned, but they can't ever have any assurance. Mm-hmm. They can't ever have an understanding of faith and grace, mm-hmm. right? They're always in danger. So I think you're exactly right with that. My observation, though, is that lawlessness can only go on so long yeah, because it, it ends in chaos, just destruction. And I, th- I this, again, I th- we touched on this in a previous episode a little bit, I think, but a lot of people are waking up to the reality that you can't just live in lawlessness constantly. And so what they're getting is not the law of God as an alternative, but some other law that they think that they can achieve. And it might be a religious law, you know, whether it's Mormonism and Roman Catholicism or Islam. Islam, or, yeah. yeah In the black community. Yep, yep. But it's some, some law that, or, or, you know, the law of working out or I don't know what, taking what you eat, um, wokeism, all that stuff. It's a law that you can achieve. And might it also just be bells and smells? Yeah, absolutely. That that's that's it. There's yep. the, it's a liturgical, musical, yeah. aesthetic law. That's right. Uh, very much related to class, for instance. You know, the trivium. Yeah, I'm signing the group that I'm a part of, and I check the boxes, and I'm good to go. But you it's know, not the gospel. It's not the gospel, and you know you're not dealing with the gospel, dear listeners. If you're feeding of the word of God from your shepherd does not create in you a growing sense of the fear of God. Mm. If you do not grow in your understanding and existential experience of the fear of God, if you do not have the constant exhortations from the pulpit of you as a mother and a father to teach your children to fear their parents and to fear God, and I know you're listening and you're thinking, you're insane. I don't want my children to be afraid of me. I was afraid of my dad. His mm. temper was awful. And you know that's not what I'm talking about. Don't fe- set up some straw man. Mm. I'm talking about biblical fear of God, which causes you to cling to God. It is, it is the fear of God that causes us to cling to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and if you are cheap in your talk of grace, your talk of God's mercy, your talk of God's sovereignty, find a different church. Because Jesus constantly said that you will know a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. And if the fruit, I said to one of the couples that were here from a long way away, I said to them, leave your church. Now, I don't go around saying that. Hmm. But in this case, for years, I have watched the fruit of this church in their lives. Hmm. And I named the fruit. And I said, is this true? Is this true? Is this true? Yeah. And the answer was yes. And I said, how many more years do you have to see this fruit? You're going to raise your children in this church and have this fruit reproduced in their lives? Is that what you're going to do? 
In other words, we are what we eat. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 when it comes to gluten, you know, carbs, yeah. you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. the what, are, what do they call it? The, 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 the what diet? The oh, keto. There's a bil- bil- keto. Yeah, the Frito diet. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And yet when it comes to the word of God, we have absolutely no standards, no expectations. Mm. We don't scrutinize the preaching of the word like the Bereans who were noble. Mm. And we certainly don't read dead men's sermons. And so it's funny because as you're talking, I'm thinking like, you know, yeah, are the, what are the excuses? Like it's confusing, it's hard. Uh, but I mean, the idea of somebody digging into the science of this food or that food or that carbohydrate and they're we're, we're willing to dig into that exotic discussions yes about very that. exotic <laughs> and very meticulous yeah. very detailed yeah. but uh we're impatient when it comes to god's word yeah and you know if we were to talk about how we prepare our sermons here we don't give any classes on doing it we just do it together and it helps us you know you know what I'm saying? But how do we prepare our sermons? How do we prepare our sermons? What do we do to prepare our sermons? Now, I haven't seeded this question to you before <laughs> now, but what is common to our preparation for preaching to the sheep? For me, it's it's looking at myself. <laughs> I knew you were going to say just, that. Uh, you look of at the, what the text says and you say, oh, oh no, uh, this is how I feel now that I've I don't like realized that. that. Why and, does the Bible say that? I don't like that the Bible says that. <laughs> Why can't I find a text about somebody else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and do you, do you agree, Lucas? Yeah. So we approach the word trembling and seeing God's holiness and the absolute impossibility of us pleasing him except for the imputed foreign righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we think that if we create that same appreciation for the righteousness of Jesus in our people by having them despair of their own righteousness, that that's helpful. And we have a congregation that uh, that appreciates it. Go ahead. Well, so I like to try to bore down and i try to get my head inside of other people's head mm-hmm. and experience you know you talk about fearing god and we don't talk about that cheaply we have a sense you know i say i bore down but i think you i know you men have done the same thing what does it mean to fear god well it's actually uncomfortable and terrifying mm-hmm. we're not cheap about this and it's painful. It's excruciating. I mean, what other words do you want me to? It's like it can feel like torture. <laughs> I don't know. What, what is faith? I'm making it sound bad because obviously I'm trying to make a point here. My, and of course, my point is that walking by faith psychologically inside of each of us takes us right to the edge, right to the edge. And that's actually the point. And, and when you say the edge, what you mean is it takes us to the place where we despair of ourselves. Yes. And I, I don't know. I just, I think people, especially in the reformed world, maybe we're kind of used to hearing that. And we can get kind of comfortably numb about what that means, but it's never comfortable. 
It's never comfortable. And, and I think that if, if you actually saw it happen in front of you, if you see it happen in front of you with somebody, there's a lot of people, maybe some of you listening, likely some of you listening, who would say that that's abusive, to, to want somebody to get to that point. Yeah, there was a woman who I put up our liturgy for the Lord's table without identifying it as being the liturgy used by Calvin and Knox, and immediately one of the best-known women in conservative reform circles, if I mentioned her name here, many people would actually know her, mm. of her. Yeah. And she immediately shot back a comment under my post saying, that's abusive, that's guilt-tripping. Mm-hmm. And she had no idea what the origin of the liturgy was, but she was absolutely cocksure of herself that I, if I use that liturgy, that I was guilt-tripping my sheep, harming them, okay? And uh, that is common among sacramentalists. Mm. In fact, that's how you know you're dealing with a sacramentalist is that sacramentos will absolutely tolerate not the slightest discouragement of anyone partaking of the sacrament. Mm. That's how you know that it's sacramentalism. So then, you know, maybe there might be some listeners confused and thinking like that we actually are happy for people to just kind of be Uriah Heepish. Maybe that, that like, oh yeah, I'm the worst and all the time. But the thought of that is disgusting to us, right? And nothing could be further from our minds. So how is what we're describing different than... From, from what? From wanting someone to be a Uriah Heap who's saying, oh, now, you know, saying, oh, you know, I'm the worst and Because Uriah Heap is completely insincere. He's humble bragging. Mm-hmm. So Uriah Heap are the contemporary woke SJW people. You know, people that talk about being a wounded healer, people that... Yeah, so you're right, you're right. In, in the character, the character as Dickens portrays it is clearly uh, a liar, right? Mm-hmm. He's a con artist. Mm-hmm. And so let's, let's set that to the side. Maybe that's a bad analogy. But what I'm coming to is that actually there is a kind of solid confidence that we believe is good and right. <laughs> and how does that exist that kind of quiet confidence exists simultaneously with this fear and trembling before God. If you take it from the perspective of the preaching, Lucas, you can mm-hmm. have preaching and people come away from preaching and they say, wow, that was deep. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? Mm. It might mean that there were a lot of quotations from the latin or something right a lot of times it, th- it might mean you know it was intellectually satisfying yeah yeah was, yeah you know big words or whatever yeah or you know a lot of a lot of quotes and a lot of references to things that makes you think that there was a lot of preparation a lot of work went into finding all these people then that was and that was and that's very interesting how those different words can go like this and how they can go like that or they might come away from the sermon and they might say well that was helpful Mm. that was really helpful but then what do they mean by that they might mean uh you know well it just made me feel good like chicken soup for the soul Mm. i came away with this warm feeling about what i just heard and you say, well, what is it, the quiet confidence that's there? And I think that uh, there's always 
I'm, I'm thinking when you say quiet confidence, there's always something of confidence that attends faith, a, a faith. But I want to say authority, hmm. because because when Jesus preached, the people said, mm. "Well, you're not like everybody else." Yeah, you, they might be helpful. Can you imagine that the rabbis might have been accused of being deep? <laughs> you know, yeah. But no, they weren't help. He wasn't helpful. He wasn't deep. He's he was something completely different. He preached as one who had authority. Mm. And I think that it resonated in them. You say quiet confidence. I think there was just a resonance in them. And what was he saying to them? He was saying to repent. Mm. He was saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, on and on and on. He was taking things right to their hearts. You, you know, not just if you commit adultery with that woman, but no, you just think about it in your heart and you Mm. have committed adultery already. Mm. And so they're listening to him, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> who are you? This is next level. Yeah, the theme in the Gospels is that Jesus spoke with authority, and specifically what it says is that Jesus, and they even flatter him when they come to trick him, the religious yeah. leaders. They say to him, Rabbi, we know that you are no respecter of persons. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways you know whether or not you're dealing with biblical preaching is whether or not the pastor is constantly making references to knowing that he has you uneasy. He will say things like, now I know that you, now I don't want you, now I'm sorry, I'm sorry, (laughs) but it's what the Bible says. I mean, I I do have to deal with, I do have to tell you what the Bible, I'm sorry, I wish I didn't have to tell you. I have a friend who preached a series on Timothy, and my father-in-law was under his preaching, and when he got to the end, he said, well, he said, you know, uh, I actually think that many women would make better elders than men would, but we have to live with what Scripture says. Well, I mean, come on, you know. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying, you know, I'm sorry, but this is what the Holy Spirit inspired me to say, so I have to go ahead and write it even though I don't like it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So what I want to come back and say is you keep saying to people, well, you know, we want you to be confident of your faith. We want you to have assurance of salvation. This is what you're saying. You're saying, well, you know, this doesn't mean you can't be happy. It doesn't mean you can't be secure. It doesn't mean you can't be confident it doesn't mean you can't have assurance of salvation doesn't mean we're mean yeah yeah, well i mean come on that's that's what you're channeling okay i mean am i right or wrong i I wouldn't put it quite like that but i i think i well all right you put it the way you want i thought i had listened and heard what (laughs) you wanted to put it and i thought that's what i was summarizing well the way i would put it is there is a both end it Uh, exists in, okay, in, let's in hear the both, and then let's hear the end. <laughs> uh, fear and trembling, sickness unto death, and trust that God that that God through Christ will deliver on His promises. Okay, so comfort, yeah, comfort and pain, yeah. So yes and no, yes. Okay, and so what you want f- for people to know is that as we tell you, God's no is gag today. Mm-hmm. That we. Give them God's yes as we tell them that God's no is gagged today. Yeah. Okay, now here's the danger with that. Mm-hmm. The danger with that is that all we do is reassure them that there's a reason they're without compunction of conscience. Mm. And we don't really want to bust them loose from it. 
Mm-hmm. We just want them to realize that there is a world outside of the cave, and those shadows do portend something real outside the cave. And, 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 and so we're happy to be an exotic species here in Bloomington that has our own way of doing things, and it's not really as bad as it sounds to them. And our people have what they have too, which is re- assurance of salvation. God's yes, it's happy, it's cheerful, and it's everything. Now, listen, I'm not against that. I know it sounds like I am because <laughs> I'm mocking it. Yeah. But here's the reason I'm mocking it. Scripture never deals that way. Mm. What Scripture says at the end of this excoriating series of three chapters of the hopelessness of man's condition, not the human condition, but man's condition, because the Bible names us man. It says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Tim Bailey has been my boss and father-in-law and father in the faith for many years. As I've gotten older, it's been a blessing to be able to call him my friend. I cannot tell you how many times Tim and I have had an interaction like the one you just heard. I was feeling the pain that God's call to repentance and faith would cause our listeners, and so I tried to soften it. But after listening to me carefully, Tim persisted and pointed us back to God's Word. As I said, Tim has done that so many times. There's another half to this conversation, so I hope you will stick with us and tune in next week. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now. 